In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. This thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. The best marketers sell with story, and the best storyteller wins the customer. And the best stories are your customer stories. I'm going to give you the planner to create the perfect video case story for your business, just like we've done with all of our clients here at Authentic Web. Just go to iingarlic.com slash plan or click on the podcast image to get to the show notes and there'll be a link. There you can download the perfect video case study planner the same one we use at Authentic Web to create incredible dynamic video case stories and video case story interviews. All right. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here, and I've got a a paid traffic expert, um, owns his own agency, but has worked for companies like Unbounce, uh, directing their traffic, and has managed up to $500,000 a month in traffic, uh, as well as multiple teams, works with startups, and, and businesses across the board, helping them optimize both their traffic and conversion. Dwayne Brown, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ian, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, Dwayne, tell me, I mean, in working for like in startups and traffic and in SaaS companies, um, what's what are some of the biggest concerns? Because, I mean, you can spend a lot of money all over the place. What are some of the, you know, the hardest things with working with traffic and, and startups? Yeah, I think the hardest thing, and this is probably funny for you to say, is kind of just understanding the customer. You know, like, why are they buying? Why aren't they buying? Why are they coming to the website? Not everyone who comes to the website or fills out a form to get a white paper wants to buy your product. Sometimes they just want the white paper or the report you put out. So understanding sort of the intent and why people are coming is usually the hardest thing with any client, whether it's, you know, a SaaS or e-commerce or any transactional client or a startup. And then once you, I think you figured out that, it's just figuring out, what traffic, what platform makes the most sense to get people to convert and buy today? I always tell clients, if we're not profitable, we're losing money, which means you'll be out of business in 12 months. So just finding profitable traffic that converts, brings in people that are going to be with you for 12 months, two years, four years, because you don't want someone who's going to come buy a product today and then just churn tomorrow. So finding that really good traffic is important. And it's all about quality versus quantity. Lots of people will say, you know, Facebook's got 2 million people, so let's be on Facebook. But if your customers are not on Facebook, it's the worst place for you to be. It doesn't matter if they have 2 billion people around the world. So, I mean, what is you over the years, what's been your process? And now, and especially now that, you know, you have to make it adaptable because when you're working inside of a company, you have a bit longer to, to run that process than you do when you work, when you bring on clients, right? Yeah, we definitely have a longer process when you have like a job and you're a full-time employee. And our process is usually we do a debrief with the client. We try to understand, okay, who are your current customers? Why are they customers? Why are they buying? Sometimes we'll run surveys for clients and try to just understand the customer a little bit more. And then from there, it's just a question of what platforms make sense. If we're selling you know, a product or a service, odds are we'll do like AdWords and Bing to start because AdWords and Bing – 
people on that tell you what they want, right? They type it in a search engine. They tell you what they want to buy. All you got to do is sort of pick the right keywords that make the most sense, have the right ad, have the right landing page, or right place on the website to send the traffic, and that converts. Versus where if you're on Facebook and you're running ads, Facebook and people on Facebook tell you, you know, who they are, right? In the sense of like what they like to do and what their interests are. And getting someone to convert on Facebook is not always the easiest, depending on what you're selling. So we usually with clients we start in search because you're able to target who you want really easily. And then from there it's just a question of what other platforms can we go after that make more sense to call the business? Because it isn't about just AdWords or just Bing or just Microsoft or just Pinterest or whatever. It's about finding a balance across all those platforms and even offline things, whether it's direct mail or TV or radio or out of home and finding that balance across all those different places so that you can grow the business as a whole and make money. And how do you go about, I mean, that finding that balance is, is an art form, isn't it? It totally is an art form. There's no – anyone who says they have attribution figured out or anyone who says they've got it figured out, it would be lying to. Even we don't have it figured out. For a lot of clients, it's just about testing and figuring it out. So we have our base, let's say, in being in AdWords, and we've got that going. And then we'll say, let's take X amount of dollars and test out Facebook for the next three months or test out Pinterest or Quora or out of home, whatever makes the most sense for the next six months and see how that – shifts the business or changes changes the business in terms of like revenue and people sign it up. And if we like the direction it's going, we'll continue to spend money on that platform. And if not, we'll test something else out. So we're always just sort of testing, trying to figure out what makes the most sense and how does that sort of affect the customer journey as they convert. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the customer journey is critical and understanding that customer journey is, is absolutely critical. How is that customer journey different and, and what you do different from, say, an e-commerce brand from a SaaS company or is it? I'd say they're actually probably pretty similar in a lot of ways. Like the big difference would be that unless it's a high end e-commerce brand, the transaction you'll have on a SaaS business will be probably a little bit higher. You know, the average person in North America spends, I think it's like 75, $78 per transaction when it comes to e-commerce and whereas SaaS most average SaaS platforms usually start around $100 and go up from there if it's like a professional SaaS platform that's been around for a few years. So it's really just the transaction is higher. And then what you don't see a lot of times in SaaS is that, yes, John Smith or Jane Smith has bought something today, but she or he may have had to talk to like four people inside the company, get the sign off from somebody in the C-suite and stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of back-channel things you don't see Whereas if I'm going to like ASOS or another e-commerce brand, I'm probably just buying the product myself or for my boyfriend. And so I don't need to get anyone's approval and anyone's sign off on that. And I think that that part that people don't see when it comes to marketing and clients that we see is that you've got to get four other people and convince four other people that you're the right platform for that brand. Uh, yeah, I think that's a critical thing you're talking about there, too. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about with clients and they're like, well, no one, you know, no one bought because of this ad or because of that ad, but but X amount of people watch it, especially on the retargeting side, right? Because if you've got retargeting traffic, that means people that went to your website are watching it and it might be that back channel. How do you plan for that? I think it's a little bit hard to plan for that back channel. I don't think we found when I was at Unbounce and even now with clients, we try to define who we think the customer is and who we think the other decision makers are going to be and we build out a line of pages that tries to answer the questions that matter to them you know what do they value what do they see as really important and then when it comes to remarketing i think it's a little bit different we know odds are the person who's going to buy the product is the person who's, who's going to 
see the ad and other people in the organization, unless you're going to target an organization, do you know, like account-based marketing, they're probably not going to see the ad. We want an ad that's going to be, you know, familiar, make sense. They understand why they're seeing the ad. It's going to take them to a landing page they know is familiar, but at the same time they've not been to. So it's got probably a little bit more information to try to move them up to market. So if we know that their problem is they need more conversions or they want to streamline the process, well, let's take a landing page that talks about those things and how our software can just make their lives easier. Because at the end of the day, whether it's B2B or B2C or SaaS or e-commerce, people just want to like be rock stars, right? They want to be a better version of themselves. And if you make someone look awesome to their bosses or their, to their significant other, then they're going to buy your product and like sing your praises till, till whenever, really. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a big, big point that, you know, it's not always the end. The end use of the product is not what you, actually the end use that you're selling. Like you said, it's, it's that change in status. Uh, it's always a change in status. I think quite fine with clients like your, your tool, your product is just helping them achieve some sort of goal and some sort of outcome. Like if they could take your tool and find it cheaper for someone else, they'll probably do that. Like people don't care necessarily what your brand is and stuff like that. They just care. You can help them do their job better. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and that's critical. That's critical to understand when you're writing the ads, when you're making, when you're creating the ads. Um, how so to that extent? How much time and how much effort do you spend in ad copy when you're creating these ads? We we spend a lot of time, probably more than most clients think, and probably more than most competitors think, because um, we try to have ads to talk about different things and whether it's, you know, a feature versus a service or two benefits we think are really popular. Like I often tell clients, I don't know everything because there's no way I can know everything. And I don't know everything about your brand, but I know that these are your benefits you say that are really important. So if you've got these three benefits, we'll test out lots of different copy that talks about each benefit and we'll see which one becomes really popular. And sometimes I have an opinion where I think this benefit will do really well with your audience, but I'm always telling clients, let's test and see what actually happens because at the end of the day, I am probably not your target demographic, and even if I was, I'm just one person's opinion, and clients, especially internal marketing teams, need to understand that they are not their target market. Yes, they may use their own product, they may dog food their own products, but at the end of the day, there are lots of people out there who've got to get an agreement, like I said, from other people in the organization. They have to get that buy-in. They've got to convince people to give up whatever their current system is they have right now, whatever that process is, which people don't want to do because that means a change in habit, and they've got to convince them to like, adapt this new process, which, again, is a change in habit. It's really painful, and it's that change that I think the other part people don't see is, yeah, okay, you've got the buy-in now, but now you've got to convince people to like change their habits and adapt a new process, which is really hard for, for larger organizations when you go past you know, 50, 100 people. When you're at a couple hundred people, getting people in the organization to like shift to a new tool, unless that tool is coming from like, like HR, some organization where you know there's no way you're going to be able to say no to this, you've got to convince people to like do it, and then you've got to show them how to do it, which training is, I think, something people don't always think about when it comes to like marketing their product and that onboarding experience because the worse that onboarding experience is the more likely that company's going to churn and not use your product which is not great so i mean do you start with the onboarding experience or do you start with getting people in or is it a back and forth um it's a bit of a back and forth like we start with figuring out who the ideal customer is and like do we like the people that we're onboarding 
And then as we grow our relationship with our client, we'll talk about things like the checkout flow or just the transactional flow of how people start to finish and buying the product. And we'll talk about how the onboard experience is. We tend not to talk about stuff early on just because we want to have the relationship with a client where they trust us and they trust our opinions. Like coming in from day one and saying, you should do all these things with your ad. Oh, and then you should change all these things on your website. It's not the greatest way to build trust. We want clients to trust our advice and know that we're we have their best interests at heart at the end of the day and our goal is to make them simply just more money, more revenue and make their lives easier. Yes. Um, and so you have that in, in mind and, and you know, you're going to do all these things for clients. Now we've talked about this before and if, if anyone owns a service based business, they, they are going up against this because you want to do the best work possible. You want to explain that you do the best work possible. But a, a lot of times there's going to be people that undercut you and don't do as good a work or, you know, and say they do as good as work, uh, but don't value it. And so when someone looks at service, they're like, well, this person's X amount. And they say they're going to do the same thing. Uh, you know, th- they're going to do the exact same thing from a SaaS model. And then also in your business, mm-hmm. how are you approaching that? How are you explaining that to people? Yeah, so when I talk to potential clients and they say that, I'm just like, fine, go with the other person. Like, we don't compete on price. You know, you're taking 12 years of experience. I've worked around the world. Either you value that experience and you want to pay for it and get get my, me and my team's opinion on your brand and your site and how things are going to work. So we just don't compete on price. I'd rather lose a client than just have a really cheap price where we can't afford to be profitable. Because if I can't afford to be profitable in my business, how am I going to be how am I going to able to have you be profitable in your business? Like it doesn't really work. Um, so we lose clients over that all the time and that's fine for us. So when it comes to clients and how they talk about their brand and the market, I think that's a little bit tricky. We try to have clients understand like we don't want you to be on price. i.e., We don't want you to always have sales, always have discounts, always give things away for free. Like we want people to come on board because they value what you do. And so that's figuring out, you know, what are the features and benefits of this product? How are you going to make people's lives easier? And how do we talk about that? Whether it's, you know, in balance, we talked a lot about having teams get more conversions, right? Get more sales, get more customers. Um, for my e-commerce client, we talk a lot about just being able to like buy the piece of clothes that you want, being able to get any piece of clothes you want from any brand potentially across North America and having it be a really fast experience, um, which may seem like a funny thing to talk about, but I think when you look at a lot of like online and e-commerce sites right now, the checkout experience flow is not always the greatest and it's always very frustrating. So figuring out how we can streamline that for that client and make experience better was, it was an easy sell and getting them to talk about that in their ad made a lot of sense because it made people want to sign up with the client and buy from them versus having to go to like a dozen different retailers to buy the different pieces of clothes they want. Um, so for a lot of clients, it's finding out what the features and benefits are and figuring out how to communicate that. And sometimes that's wording, sometimes that's visuals in the ad and just making sure that if you can understand what the features and benefits are, people will pay you within reason anything you want for your service. And sometimes people won't. And sometimes you have to be okay with losing that client or losing that customer because you don't want a customer that's going to churn or that's going to complain all the time. It's going to come back and ask for a discount. Because you, you give a client a discount today or tomorrow, they're just going to ask for another discount six months from now, right? Like if you start the relationship off with just asking for discounts or saying, I want the VIP service at like the VW price, well, that's just not a great relationship to have um, from day one. Yeah, no, it's not. And, and, and a lot of people want to go right to that discount. 
But it's yeah, it's it's tough though when you don't have a lot of business coming through the door. So what do you do when you, you know if it is slow and you don't have a lot of business coming through the door? Do you still say no? How do you redirect that? How do you justify saying no? Well, the first thing I tell every client when we get on a call is we don't compete on price. It's like one of the first things I say. So that sort of helps direct the call from there. Uh, you know, things have been slow at some points in the, in the client and the company's history the last, you know, the last 13 months. And so we'll just lose the client. Like I'd rather double down and focus on the clients we have and stay like a small, nimble company than just take on clients that are going to be like really frustrated. Um, so we'll, we've had clients, oh, we want to like buy hours, you know, lots of people want to sell hours and we don't sell hours either. So I'm like, we don't sell hours for, for like X amount of dollars per month. We can give you this, this, and this, which is what you need. And sometimes clients go, okay, that makes sense. Sometimes clients will, so we'll say no, and we want X, Y, N, Z. And like, well, we can't provide that at that service level. Like if you want our knowledge experience, we need to make sure we have enough resources, which is our experience or time just everything we have as a company to put towards it. And so, yeah, we'll just lose the business, which is unfortunate because there's lots of brands we've talked with the last 15 months that we'd love to work with and would be awesome. And we know that we could deliver value, i.e. for them, make them more money, more revenue, but we're not going to do it at a bottom basement price of like a thousand dollars a month or $2,000 a month, right? You can't expect us or any company to make you a million dollars, half a million dollars a month or a million dollars a year, but then only pay them like $2,000 a month. Like there's a disconnect there and, and we don't want clients who don't see the value in making more money and paying a respectable fee for that. Yeah, uh, that's great. And it, it's important to, I mean, it's important to stay on your ground. Um, and the, those clients and the ends, those are the ones that are say marketing doesn't work right when they don't spend the money that someone that's educated suggests, uh, it, and they get frustrated. But now, you, you know, like you said, this is a different conversation than you used to have when you're on the inside of the company. Um, what, you know, how else has it changed what you do on a daily basis, um, how you perceive marketing now that you're an outside consultant versus an inside employee for it's just like a director of marketing? Yeah, I mean, I used, I used to freelance years and years ago when I was still living back home in Toronto, Canada. Um, so it is a little bit different now, whereas then I was just one person on my own, and now I'm trying to build a bit of a company, and I've got me and my designer, and I'll probably hire one or two other people this year. And so I don't think my my opinion or my view as marketing has really changed. I think I have a better understanding of what internal teams are going through or small startups are going through because I've, I've been inside it, and it's usually – one of two things, either there's not enough senior talent internally, you know, even in Vancouver, there's not a lot of senior talent and there's very limited senior talent to go around or people just don't know what they're doing. If you're going to be quite frank, either they don't have processes in place or people are just relying on data based on something they read in some report four years ago and they haven't kept up with where the industry is. And so bringing that senior knowledge and understanding of like where the industry is as a whole, where you should be as an industry, because we read at the company, we read a lot of reports from like other companies and larger agencies to kind of understand where brands are larger and smaller than us. And so having that knowledge, we can say, well, we think you should be here. Or if you have a checkout, that's five steps and you're losing more than 30% of the people at each step of your checkout. Well, that's above the industry average and you should fix that. If you're losing 40, 50% of people at each step of the checkout, well, that's higher than the average for the industry. So you need to change that. So it hasn't, my outlook and my view hasn't changed. It's just, I have a better understanding. I think what happens internally and how I sort of take the conversation with clients, how we talk about things and how we figure out what we're going to tackle 
and how we're going to tackle it to make it easier. We try to, and clients kind of laugh when I say this, but we try to think of it as like two teams and one outcome in the sense that, you know, you just decided to open an office in Vancouver, Canada. You decided, well, you know, we need an office in Canada because we don't know how things are going to happen in the UK, what things are going to happen in the US with politics. And we want to have a place to send employees if they don't want to stay in Canada or the UK or somewhere else in the world and we're just another office you've opened and our job is to figure out how to work with your team and make them the best team they can possibly be and sometimes at some clients that means some people get fired unfortunately because they realize like that person doesn't add as much value as they should and that money should be directed and hire someone with a bit more experience internally or get two people who work in a certain area because you need more help in you know analytics or data or making content and stuff like that yeah I mean yeah that's a it's a good. It's a great that you have that insight, uh, insight, and all that experience. That's fantastic and helpful too. Uh, and I'm sure in the long run, it ends up saving your clients money, right? Totally. I mean, one of the things we do, we always streamline processes. The first thing we do, and just make lives easier. And we try not to create too many digital artifacts, too many digital documents. We try to keep it limited as possible. And we always want to save time. Like I hate wasting time. I hate wasting energy on things that should be either automated or people shouldn't be doing it because it's a waste of time. Like lots of companies will create, you know, a blog post every week, three blog posts every week. And it's not about the quantity of content you put out there. It's about the quality of content you put out there for the people you want to go after. And so getting a lot of clients to understand that you don't need to post every day on Instagram, or you don't need to put out a blog post every other day. You need to just put out the right amount of blog posts and the right amount of quality content to attract the people you want to go after. And that save the time you save of creating less content is time you could put towards other parts of the business, whether it's like PR or you can go and do like video or you can just put more time in like operational things in your startup to have it just be a more effective organization as a whole. Yeah. And, and I mean, that that's a tough one. That's a really, really tough one because you can go down that rabbit hole of lots of content, which we've had a lot of people talk about, you know, creating a lot of content, but you have to create quality content. But where does quality content stop and start? Um, and how do you make that decision of what's quality content? The question I always ask clients, like, is this content how you convert people? Like when you look at your attribution in Google Analytics or your customer journey path in Google Analytics, you know, are people going to that content? Do they convert at some point? And if they're not, then we have to question and figure out, okay, why are they not converting? If they are converting, figure out why they're converting, and then figure out where do we spend that time. So a lot of clients will say, I think you should you know, try to create one or two big pieces of content every year, something that's going to help you stand out in the marketplace. One client last summer we did, they're in the educational space, so we said, why don't you create a salary survey for the people who, and students who want to take this program that you're launching, because one thing that every student always asks is how much money can I make in this program? One thing parents always want to know is how much is my son or daughter going to make in this program? So creating a salary survey that displays how much their son or daughter can make taking this program is like a no-brainer because A, you can promote it online, you can promote it on social, you can promote it to parents when they call in and ask questions around like salary and job security and having them understand how big the market is in Canada and how much money their daughter can make. It just seems like a great piece of content. And then throughout the rest of the year, you create smaller pieces of content that play off whatever your strength may be, whether it's like you want to educate people or you want to inform people or you want to make people's life more easier. Like if you're in the fintech space, you might, and in Canada especially, you might want to put out 
a blog post about winter tax deadlines, right? Because tax season's coming up in Canada, tax season's coming up in the States. So having a blog post around tax time and what the deadlines are would be really helpful for most people who are probably going to be your client. And even for people who aren't your client but potentially could be your client down the road, having them know that you want to help make their lives easier and you put this great piece of content is just a no-brainer in our books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great advice. I'm picking that top, uh, that content out. Um, so speaking of advice, you know, what, from a tactical standpoint right now, and, and you're talking about all these tactics about all these markets, what are the things that are really working for you? What, what are some things that are working for you that maybe people don't know about? Hmm. You know, Google and Facebook are really huge, but Google, Google always works. They own a large part of the market, and that's probably not going to change for for another. Who knows when it's going to change? Probably another five years, another decade. I mean, Google has a pretty good stranglehold on the market. Um, I think in terms of what people don't realize it's going to work, and it's kind of like an easy win is like just Bing in general. I think lots of people think of Bing when someone mentions it, but they don't think of it as an ad platform to advertise on. And Bing may only have anywhere from eighteen to twenty percent of their search market in the U.S. and the U.K. But if you could just take what you're doing in AdWords, import it into Bing, and get 20% more customers, wouldn't you do it? I mean, most clients would say yes, but I find most clients aren't on Bing, and that's usually a really quick win for a lot of clients, a lot of brands. Um, and I think the other area, and this is something they would have to test and figure out, but whether it's it's video on YouTube or just content on Facebook in the right way, um, figuring out how to use YouTube or figuring out how to use Facebook, um, it's going to be a bigger I say a bigger play for clients here and doing it in the right way, not just spamming Facebook or spamming YouTube with a lot of videos, but figuring out what's our strategy on YouTube and what's our strategy on Facebook and how do we sort of integrate that in what we're already doing on AdWords or what we're already doing on Bing. And then if you've got those places going, you know, one client we have that they see business on is Pinterest. So figuring out, you know, Pinterest or Quora, I think those are, two platforms are going to be breakup platforms for 2018. They've come a long way in 2017. And so I think 2018 is the year that you see more people talk about Quora as an ad platform. You talk about Pinterest as an ad platform. And even, even just LinkedIn as an ad platform, especially because with Microsoft buying LinkedIn, I think you'll see a lot more sort of Bing ads on LinkedIn. And that that will change the game. If we have Bing ads go to LinkedIn as a platform, that's going to change the game completely in 2018. Interesting, yeah, and, and yeah, people go to the the usuals, but I like the idea too. For those of you that not listening, Quora is a Q and A uh, type website, Q U O R A dot com, and it's a great place because there's tons of information on there, uh, and, and I think that you'll see a lot more traffic to it, and, and like you said, a lot more conversion because if someone has that question in surrounding your business or service. Um, it's an opportunity for you to get in front of them when they're in the buying mood, correct? Totally. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it's fun. It's cool that you're experimenting with all these platforms. Um, so tell us a little about, you know, your business and, and how to get a hold of you and, and the process of working with, uh, take some, take some risk.com. Yeah. So a lot of people can just go to our websites or they can find me on Twitter. It's just Dwayne Brown on Twitter. Um, and reach out to me that way. And yeah, so a lot of clients will run marketing campaigns for whether it's AdWords or Bing or Facebook, or we'll explore channels on you know Core and Pinterest and LinkedIn for clients. Um, and that's sort of like half our business. And the other half of our business is a lot of it is just 
A-B testing, doing conversion rate optimization, figuring out like where they would get money on their website, where they're losing customers, and how do we fix that, and whether it's an ad copy issue or a trust issue or there's too many steps in the final or the final doesn't actually make sense. Sometimes it's even just finding out there's a bug in someone's funnel and like it's been sitting there for a couple of years and no one's noticed it because someone didn't take the time to just sit down. I like their customer go through the checkout flow to make sure it actually works is, is kind of funny sometimes and in a funny in a not a great way, but funny in a wish someone saw the sooner kind of way because it's like you've lost money when you didn't have to lose money. Um, so that's kind of where we play right now is just figuring out how do we make marketing campaigns more effective and then how do we help clients figure out the data and analytics and just better tracking so they can run better campaigns and more effective campaigns in the long run and they don't lose customers on their website somewhere. That's awesome. Well, Dwayne Brown, and so just go to – if they want someone wants to get started or work with you, go to take me, takesomerisk.com, correct? Yeah, takesomerisk.com, and we have a form on there. You can just reach out, or you can just do info at takesomerisk.com, and I'll get the email, and we can chat. Fantastic. Well, Dwayne, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great talking to you. A lot of great advice on uh, you know, optimizing your funnel, optimizing your traffic. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. And thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been Ian Garlic and Dwayne Brown on the Garlic Marketing Show. Thanks for taking us on your journey, and we'll talk to you soon. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 